Welcome back to Mama Mystery Headlines. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-anchor, Austin, because we're anchors, because this is news. Right. So we need to come up with like an intro, a regular intro, but we haven't done that yet. I just wanted to get this out because literally this morning I was taking a bath and I was about to shave my legs and I was like, oh my gosh, it's Saturday. And I completely forgot about headlines yesterday. So I watched the baby and she wrote one real fast. Yeah. Like really fast this morning. I was like, okay, well, here's the updates on these cases. And I just hammered it out. And then here we are. Let's ride. But it's going to be Still the best quality. All right, you ready? Mm -hmm. Let's do it. The first topic that I want to talk about are some updates out of Idaho. So there have recently been reports of multiple leaks regarding the ongoing investigation in the Idaho murder case. Now, remember, there is a gag order in place on this case, and anyone involved in the investigation, the upcoming trial, or as family, family members of the victims, everyone is prohibited from talking about it. It's a very strict gag order. So I just want to bring that up so that you take any information about possible leaks with a grain of salt, because it's a quick way to spread misinformation. And speaking of misinformation, there is a girl that I regularly follow who has, um, she's a true crime creator. I'm not going to name her because this is something that kind of like irritated me. So I'm not going to name her, but, um, She made a video recently alleging that Brian Koberger was filing motions to represent himself and do away with his lawyers, just tearing a page right out of Ted Bundy's book. So I saw the motion, like the paperwork in her background, and I tried searching for it so I could see it for myself because I didn't want to just believe it just because she said it. But I found the motion and then I read it and I wasn't confident that I understood it completely. So I reached out to one of my favorite true crime podcasts, The Prosecutor's Pod. It's two prosecutors, Alice and Brett. They talk about famous cases with an expert knowledge of the law. So I recommend that podcast if you really like learning about the law. It's interesting. Um, And I asked them to clarify what it meant. And I could see how it could be misunderstood as Brian wanting to represent himself because the wording said it was a petition to intervene as a real party interest. But they responded and they clarified that this motion was in response to the gag order. So if you look at the entire motion, the very first page of it, there the petitioners are a ton of media companies. And that's what first clued me in that like something was not right about this. Um, there were a ton of media comp- companies listed and they all had an interest to have the gag order lifted. But in response, Brian Koberger and his team are basically saying, no, they have an interest in keeping it in place. So that is it. That's all the motion said. Interesting. So you can see how just a misunderstanding of the legal verbiage can cause a slew of misinformation, especially when you're talking on a platform with like 500,000 followers. Mm -hmm. But if I've learned anything in my two and a half years of podcasting, it's that if you don't know, you better ask somebody. (laughs) If you don't know, now you know. Yeah. So anyway, these leaks, okay, these quote leaks. Some of these leaks, I guess, suggest that Brian Koberger had pictures of the victims or at least one of the victims on his phone. And even if he deleted the pictures, they'd probably still be discoverable after forensics got a hold of it. But I want to reiterate that we don't know actually if this is true. And like Brian Koberger is very smart. He studied criminology. So I just have a hard time believing that he would be that reckless, but that is just my opinion. Um, Besides that though, there are genuine 
worries that the jury pool in Lataw County, where more than half of the population lives in Moscow, would be contaminated by too much exposure to the closely followed national news story. And it's going to be hard to find a completely unbiased jury pool with no knowledge of this story. And I feel like that's kind of the the double-edged sort of like true crime as a genre is that, you know, we talk about these sensational cases, but then, you know, media gets kind of inundated with information and it's really hard to find people who don't know about it. Mm -hmm. But especially if you're living right by where it happened, I feel like that would be impossible. Yeah. It's in your backyard. Mm -hmm. So anyway, if you don't already know, although I'm sure you do, if you've been listening to us for a while on November 13th of 2022, around 4 a.m., Brian Koberger is accused of breaking into the home of a group of college students from the University of Idaho, killing four of them, Madison Mogan, Kaylee Gonsalves, Ethan Chapin, and Zana Kernodal, by stabbing them with a K-bar knife. In the arrest affidavit, it was suggested that he had been stalking their home on King Road for weeks and then making at least a dozen passes before also returning again hours after the killings. Like his phone pinged around the house. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we've talked about how it's hard to prove that because just because his phone pinged near the house, the the ping hits a cell tower with like a two to three mile radius. So I just don't feel like that's going to be strong enough to convict him. Obviously, just on that based alone, I'm curious to see what else they'll have and we'll find out more when the trial comes. But I guess the reason I point these things out is because I just always want people to think about you know, be a devil's advocate, you know, think about like the other side, not to say that you're rooting for the wrong guy or anything, just like, you know, use your, your common sense. Yeah. This was one where everybody leading up to the, where he got busted, everybody was like, isn't this the one where it was like, it's the people by the food truck or is that, is that the same one? one. Episode 118. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, people were like speculating hardcore. Yeah, and people are still speculating about Dylan Mortensen, the roommate yes. that you know saw him allegedly in the hallway. And dude was all the way across the country. This Brian Koberger. Yeah, when he was arrested. When he was arrested, and and um, there was the the girl that was involved in the apartment who came out and like froze. Remember, and everybody was blowing her up about it. That's Dylan. That's who I'm oh, talking about. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And people are still claiming that maybe she had something to do with it or they're, you know, villainizing her. I just think when it comes to true crime, especially, um, you know, I think it's good to just do your own homework and like see for yourself. Just don't just always believe what you hear. Don't even just believe what I say, you know, just. I agree with you too, that like, especially when it's current and the case isn't put to rest yet, just shut up. <laughs> or that. Well, don't you think? That. I mean, yeah, I mean, rather than getting loud on, on a platform and being like, I think it's this person. Or, I like, think it's one thing to share your opinion and say, agreed. this is what I think probably happened. This is my opinion. But it's another thing to go on there and say, Brian Koberger is firing his lawyers and wants to represent himself just like Ted Bundy and yeah. this and that. And it's like, hold, pump the brakes because that's not what that means. Yeah. Let's not get everyone in a frenzy over something that's not even correct. Um, so... The last update I have on this case is that the house on King Road was donated by the landlord to the university. It has since been boarded up, and there are plans to demolish the house altogether, which I think is probably a good thing. The most That's, appropriate thing. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty creepy. Yeah. I think it would be like a sick, morbid interest if somebody wanted to live there. And even, yeah, and even if they didn't, like you'd always have this weird omen of like, oh, yeah, I'm living where this happened. Remember this? Yeah. Which is kind of like, yeah, sick. Yeah. 
University officials announced plans to build a memorial garden for the students, but also for other students who have passed. But the location of the garden is unannounced, so I'm not sure if it'll be in the same spot as the house. But just my, I doubt it. I mean, I my guess is that it'll probably be somewhere on campus. I doubt it'll be in that spot, but who knows? We'll see. His trial is set to begin on June 26th, so, so we have some time before that starts, but you can bet your socks that I will be all over it. Maybe even, maybe I'll even go to the trial. What do you think, Austin? Holy Fly smokes. out to Idaho. Whew. Get that we'll one-on-one coverage. We'll see. We'll see. All right, on to our next story. The trial in the Murdoch case is still underway, and this week, Alex Murdoch and the, I mean, I've heard it pronounced Alex Murdoch, Alec Murdoch. Alec I, t- Murdoch. I struggle with the last name because it looks like Murdoch, mm-hmm. but a lot of people call it Murdoch. Yeah, I've heard it pronounced so many ways, and listen, there's no right or wrong way to say the freaking name. So let's just say Alex Murdoch. And just go from there. The patriarch patriarch is accused of shooting and killing his wife and son, and he took the stand this week, which is shocking. It's rare that someone in a murder case will testify in their own trial. And it's risky. It's very risky. But he admitted to some stunning revelations, including that he had stolen from multiple clients over the years, and that he had a deadly addiction to opioids, and that he lied to everyone about where he was, where he actually was on the night of the murders. Wild. So that last one is huge. That's all your credibility, isn't it's, it? Well, yes. And I'll touch on that in just a second. But that last one is huge because it is the first time we've actually heard him ever say anything different about his whereabouts on the night of the murders. Originally, he told anyone who would listen that he was not at the kennels and that he was at home with Paul and Maggie earlier in the evening, but then left to go visit his parents and that they went to the kennels themselves. And this change in the story comes after a Snapchat video Paul took was released where you can hear Alex in the background of the video. And this video was taken just minutes before the shooting. I did not know that. That's wild. That's wild. This story, real quick, I just want to say, this story has interested me from the beginning because, do you know what episode it is? I tried to look it up. Um, 75, 76, Somewhere 77, in there. something like that. There's this, three. This one's interested me from the beginning because this dude, it was white collar crime for a lot of, lot of it. Mm-hmm. But like white collar, but like killing people, but doing it for money and life insurance and, and lawyer shit and stealing money. Yeah. And they've ran this little town in South Carolina for generations. Yeah. Like it was, a, it was the epitome of like old white man with power. Yes, I mean, white men with white power. men with power, and so then all these killings and everything, and then on I believe is is it HBO Max? Well, there's there's documentaries everywhere. H, HBO Max has one called Low Country, I, and I and I was into that, good. and I'm not a true crime. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just here to listen to Kelly's pretty voice, okay? But <laughs> that is a good show. Yeah, and then a new one just came out on Netflix, which no we need way. to watch it. Um, yeah, it's a three-part limited series on the same Let's stuff. Let's watch it tonight. We definitely need to watch it, but uh, Let's I haven't. Watch it. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. But naked, we'll watch it tonight. You want to watch it tonight with me? <laughs> Excuse me, clear my throat. Okay, you good? I'm good. Okay. So anyway, yeah, this uh, new documentary is out. I've heard some good stuff about it. I need to watch it myself. But um, yeah, I mean, everybody knows about this case, so. 
Anyway, there was the Snapchat video from within the kennels, and then there was also a video presented that showed Alec Murdoch, Alex Murdoch working with a tree that was falling over, and Paul was taking the video. So this video was taken at 7.38 p.m., and on the stand, Alex said that he and Paul rode around for a little bit after messing with that tree, and then he said they went back to the house where he took a shower. He said Maddie, Maggie arrived shortly after and they ate dinner in the den while watching TV. And then after eating dinner, he said Maggie wanted to go down to the dog kennels, but he didn't want to go because he had just showered and it was hot. But he admitted he did did end up going and took a golf cart down there. And then the Snapchat video where you can hear him in the background was taken at 8.45. So you never actually see his face, but you could hear him in the background. And that was one of the things that came out at the beginning of the trial, that a lot of people were like, oh shit, this really is like the last nail in his coffin because this really puts him there within the minutes of the shooting. And now he's saying though that he was. So now he's changing his story. Which, here's the deal. Why would you ever have made up the story the other way if you weren't guilty? So hold on to that because I'll answer that in just a second. But um, that video was taken at 845 and then Alex testified that after this video was taken, he went back to the house to get into the air conditioning and dozed off in front of the TV. But prosecutors claimed that Paul and Maggie were shot at 8.50, just five minutes after that video was taken. So you're telling me that Paul took this video and you happened to be on it and just so conveniently... The second that video is done recording, you leave to go back to the house and never hear the shots fired that happened within five minutes. Mm -hmm. So his, um, his reason for lying is that he says he was so deep in his opioid addiction that it would often make him paranoid and that he would lie just to This lie. guy's credibility is gone. I mean, it's I mean, you wrecked. don't even have to go just this case. If you look back at at all of the shit where he's got stolen money from people, mm -hmm. I mean, his credibility's gone. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was nuts sitting there because when one day when I walked in the office and you were watching it, mm -hmm. I think it's nuts sitting there. Like I said, old white man with power, mm -hmm. and he's sitting there in a suit with his glasses on, reading these documents, and kind of in a way, I don't. Is he in custody right now? Mm -hmm. Well, he looks like he's still at his profession day to day. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of wild. Yeah, knowing that he goes back to his cell every day, mm -hmm. it is kind of wild to like see the dichotomy between those two things. Like you're well dressed, you look mm -hmm. like you're in your element. He was a lawyer for a long time or worked with the law. I should it's like say. sifting through papers with his reading glasses on in his suit. Yeah, I mean, it's like he kind of he has this background that kind of makes you nervous if you're a prosecutor because he knows what he's doing and he's doing it well. He's on the stand crying and like the jury, he's trying to get the jury to empathize with him because he's crying and snot is literally pouring out of his nose. Austin, it drives me crazy. He'll be crying and this long stream of snot, like the, you know, the kid in Big Daddy when he like hawks the loogie and mm -hmm. picks something up off the ground or whatever. He it goes down it's and he sucks so, it back up. It's like these long streams. And I'm like, dude, we get it. You're upset, but like wipe your fucking nose. It's very distracting. We get you're crying, yeah. but you don't have to go to that extreme. Just want to make sure you see it. I guess. And I see it, but it bothers me. <laughs> so for the first four weeks of the trial, the prosecu prosecution painted Alex Murnau as a liar who stole money from clients and murdered his wife and son in order to gain sympathy and buy time to conceal his impending financial crimes. They went into detail about lie after lie. 
claiming that when the truth was going to come out, he reacted violently, such as by trying to arrange his own suicide after his law company fired him three months after the killings. Because this is right when everything was coming out about his opioid addiction on all the money that he stole from the law firm and everything was like really coming to a head. And then he had that failed, you know, assisted suicide attempt. Um, And so the prosecution has been going so hard on all of these lies and these financial crimes to showcase what a deceitful man Alex Murdaugh is. No credibility. Exactly. And Alex has admitted to a lot of those financial crimes and lies that he has told. He's He's being very forthcoming about that stuff. And um, South Carolina trial attorney Scott Evans, who has been following the case, told the Daily Beast that Murdaugh's decision to testify, quote, gives him the best shot of solidifying his defense team's key theme for the jury, which is that possessing the ability to commit financial crimes is entirely different from possessing the ability and the lack of conscience necessary to massacre your wife and child, end quote. So... That's going to be the thing for the jury. Like, I I have served on a jury before, and I think when you do serve as a juror, it gives you kind of a unique vantage point because you know how this works and how, like, it's not just about your opinion. You can have an opinion that Alex Murnau is a bad guy, and we can sit here and say, yeah, he's probably guilty. But what you're actually having to do is say, did the the prosecution present enough evidence to prove that he did it. Mm-hmm. They don't have the murder weapons. They don't have DNA evidence. They just have a voice on a video that pins him there five minutes before. Everything is essentially circumstantial. And so a lot of people are worried that he is going to end up getting away with this murder, at least. I mean, obviously the financial crimes are going to be totally different and those are going to be different trials with different outcomes. And I have a feeling he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail regardless. You but, think so from all the financial stuff? Oh, my God. It's like tens of millions of dollars. I mean, it's Yeah, but it's white at least collar, 10. people go so easy on white collar. I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see That'll, if he gets past the murder. I mean, yeah, charge. he needs to get this one out of the way. And everything else after this is kind of a moot point because if he is convicted of murder, I mean, you might as well not even try the other cases because you're done. It's so crazy. The motive of all this seems to be primarily money. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. nuts. Money will make people do some really gross things. Yeah, for sure. All right, on to the next one. The next story comes out of Florida. And honestly, I love Florida. My kids love Florida. My mom was born in Florida. I love Florida. Okay? I even like Florida. Austin likes Florida. Who doesn't like Florida? Um, it's the basement of America. It's God's waiting room. <laughs> So all the old people go to Florida and they're laying on the beach waiting for the good Lord to take them. I mean, that's... It's God's waiting room. It's not exactly And why wouldn't she want to be there? Why wouldn't you want to be there? It's humid. There's mosquitoes. There's Casey Anthony. Why wouldn't you want to be in Florida? I'm just kidding. I love Florida. Don't come for me because I truly do love Florida. But I think we could literally put a Florida story in every weekly episode of Headlines because there is always something coming out It's almost like people of Walmart. Like there's something. Well, there's an Instagram account called Florida Man, and he's always sharing, like, Florida Man accused of blank. It's, like, all these wild stories. Yeah. And it is, I mean, you kind of have to laugh at it because it's kind of funny. It seems like all the wild shit happens in Florida. Yeah. But this particular story is about a 76-year-old woman who was accused of shooting her terminally ill husband while he was in the hospital. Jerry Gilland was a patient at the Advent Health Hospital in Daytona Beach, Florida. His wife, Ellen, brought a gun into the hospital and shot her husband in an apparent case of self-murder slash manslaughter. 
which is a first-degree felony punishable by up to 30 years in prison. After shooting her husband, she pointed the gun at a nurse and at a security officer, resulting in two additional charges of aggravated assault with a firearm, a third-degree felony punishable by up to five years in prison. And once police arrived, she also pointed the gun at them and fired. But luckily it went into the ceiling. It didn't hurt anybody. But that, of course, caught her a charge of aggravated assault of a law enforcement officer with a firearm, which is a second-degree felony punishable by up to 15 years in prison with a minimal minimum mandatory prison sentence of three years if convicted. Which, let's be honest, that's extremely light. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I was named after a police officer who was shot and killed. It's very light. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, she was denied bond and is pleading not guilty. But Daytona Beach Police Chief Jakari Young said at a press conference following the incident that investigators believe the couple planned the shooting about three weeks earlier. He said that Gillen's terminally ill husband intended to fire the handgun himself, but did not have the strength. So she had to carry it out for him. So there are death with dignity laws. Have you heard about this? No. So death with dignity laws would allow certain terminally ill people to voluntarily and legally request and receive a prescription medication from their physician to hasten their death in a peaceful, humane, and dignified manner. These laws stem from the basic idea that individuals who are terminally ill should be the ones to make end-of-life decisions and determine how much pain and suffering they should endure, not the government. There's actually a really good documentary on this called How to Die in Oregon. It's kind of depressing, but I think it's eye-opening to you know people who are suffering and their families. It's, it gives you a chance to go out gracefully mm-hmm. and be surrounded by your family while you're still present and to uh-huh. kind of plan for it. I mean... It's pretty out there. Yeah, pretty out there. But, I mean, when you are so sick and, like, you're suffering so badly, I don't think anyone really wants to suffer in the end like that or see their family suffer like that. So I agree, but I guess I think of more like, hey, give me a pill that will kill me than a gunshot seems aggressive. Oh, for sure. But here's the thing. To to use the death with with dignity law, you must fulfill certain requirements and... um, So here are those requirements. You have to be a resident. They only have this law in California, Colorado, uh, the District of Columbia, Hawaii, Maine, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, Vermont, or Washington. No other state allows you to do it. Hmm. Um, You also have to qualify for a prescription under physician-assisted dying laws. You have to be 18 years or older. You have to be mentally competent and able to communicate to your healthcare team and you have to be diagnosed with a terminal illness that will, within reasonable medical judgment, lead to death within six months. All this is to allow you to let somebody kill you? Yes, in order to get that medication. Oh, the medication. Yeah. Okay, not for a gunshot. Correct. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And so that's why she did it. And, you know, in Florida, they don't have death with dignity laws. And he was in the hospital. I don't know if he was even ever going to get out. And they came up with this plan together that she would shoot him. You know, I, I don't know if if they could have thought of any other way to do it. I don't think the plan needed to point guns at nurses and cops, Definitely, definitely, hopefully did not include that. Got a little off our rocker with that part. Yeah, she went a little extreme. Um, You should see her, though. She's this tiny little old lady. She's a retired teacher. She was rolled into the courtroom in a wheelchair, just handcuffed to both sides, and she's just sitting there like, oh, yeah, I intended to be next, but I ran out of time. Yeah, I did it. She's just kind of like, you can tell she's just like, I'm at the end. 
like wild. Just, like I'm cool with it. That's wild. It is wild. Interesting. Yeah. Ready for some positive news? Are you ready for some positive news? Let's switch to a commercial break real fast. Okay. Hey, we're back here with the next story, which will be brought to you by me, Austin. Okay, so the one thing I got to say is I love that I don't have to worry as much about details and all that like you do, because listen, if I miss a detail, our expectations are pretty low. Leave me alone. I'm here for positivity. Okay, this story is crazy, okay? And I hope you haven't heard of it. All right, this story is out of Petrolia, which is a little town in Ontario, Canada. Okay. Okay? So, on January 24th, a three-year-old named Waylon Saunders. Dang it, you know it. I can tell by looking at me. <laughs> Darn it, I wanted to surprise you. No, go ahead, because okay. I don't know the details. I only know, like, the gist. Yes, crazy story. So, this, this super cute little kid, um, Waylon Saunders... It says he's 20 months old, and another thing, it says he's three years old. So anyways, he was at a stay-at-home daycare in in um, Ontario, Canada. And so in the backyard, there was a pool, and it wasn't securely covered and fastened and everything, and he fell into the pool. Okay, wait. I did not hear this story. Okay, so he, well, I like whenever it's a surprise. So Waylon falls into this pool, and he was there for a pro- in the pool for approximately five minutes. Okay. Holy shit! This is so scary. Ontario, Canada, in January—that's got to be freezing. Yes. So he gets rushed to the hospital. He is. He. I, I believe from what I've read, but I, it's been kind of off and on from what I've gone through. Some things say that he was already pronounced dead when he got there. Some people say that he just. What they just knew he was. Oh my god! But anyways, his temperature was so low that they couldn't get a reading. So since they couldn't get a reading, they couldn't properly. They didn't want to like misdiagnose him, I guess, as as deceased. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm not as smooth as you, but the story remains the same. So they end up deciding to do CPR on him until his temperature comes up. They can't get a reading because he's so cold. Finally, they got a reading, and he was 28 degrees was the temperature. What? They do CPR for three hours, and he comes back to life. And they go on to say that he um, that he has a ten percent chance of continuing to live. This is January twenty fourth. He ends up February sixth getting released from the hospital. No, I have chills. Yes, oh. he's he he ends up living. Um, and then, side note, in Lambden County, where this happens, or Lambden County Village. Paula Manez, who was 50 years old, she was charged with, she was charged just this last week with, um, negligence. Yes. She was good Lord, Austin. Come on. This is ridiculous. Where is my notes? You're doing great. When did you find this story? Uh, 15 minutes before uh, before we started. (laughs) She was charged with criminal negligence causing bodily harm in connection with the January 24th incident. Mm -hmm. And March 22nd, she's supposed to appear in court. Mm -hmm. Anyways, incredible. Um, There's been a GoFundMe that's raised a bunch of money for him. He's a super cute little kid. Look at him. Oh, my God. He looks like August. Yeah, so we'll have to put a picture on. He's adorable, but he lived, and they said... I mean, they oh they thought he was gone, and then he had a ten percent chance of living, and he's defied that, and now he's just a freaking warrior, and he's he's healthy, he's good. Oh my god! It's amazing, right? That is incredible. Yes, I'm glad it was a surprise to you because I like surprising. Oh, that gives me chills. That so, also terrifies me because yeah. pools are so scary. Um, so that's your good news for headlines. So thank you so much for that. I thought you were going to tell me the story about a little boy who went missing. 
for like at least 24 hours and was found in the forest. No like way. I don't know if it was by their house or whatever, but they had like search crews looking for this boy and he was found and he was found alive. I thought that's, that's what crazy. you were gonna tell me. I don't know any other details. Like I said, I only knew like the gist of it when I thought that's what you were gonna tell me, but mm-hmm. that was another good news story I saw. He was a really cute kid. Okay. Um, but yeah, he was found alive. I mean, sometimes good things do happen. More often than not. I would like to think so. But this podcast makes you think not. <laughs> Mama. Good well, job, wait, babe. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, okay. So this week we have a new episode coming out and it's going to be on this crazy stuff happening in Bardstown, Kentucky. Um, the case was recommended to us about the disappearance of Crystal Rogers, but it's beyond just Crystal Rogers. There's a ton of stuff going on in this county. And so we're going to talk about that this week. Um and I think that's it. Do you have anything else? And we got headline news on Friday. We'll have headlines on Friday as usual. I promise I will not forget this time. But thank you so, so much for tuning in. If you want to watch us live, you can catch us on Fridays doing this on TikTok. Or if you want to watch video streams, you can join our Patreon. We have a private group on Facebook. And there is a live stream that will be stuck on the Facebook page. So you can watch this whenever you want and you get some kind of behind the scenes because we pause the audio, but we don't pause the video. So sometimes you get to see. And you also get stickers and you get signed notes from Kelly. That's right. And ad-free episodes. And ad-free episodes. That's right. Join Patreon. Yep. Mama. Mystery. Out. Bye.